Hello, friends. How are we doing, Watermark? It's awesome to be together and to have this uh, pastor's conference that we're in the middle of. If you're a guest here, you may not be a part yet of this community of faith, and we're so glad that you're here, but you need to know we gather together every week to remind ourselves of the greatness of our God and, and to remember how to rightly respond to him. And we're in the middle of a series called How He Built This, how God, over the last almost two decades together, we're starting our 20th year, has formed this community of friends who desire to respond to the kindness of God that has radically changed my life. This has been the most significant element in my life in terms of spiritual formation is being a part of a community of friends that are committed to God's word and doing life together. And what we've been doing is just looking at some values that aren't just learned, but that are lastingly applied and lived. One of the reasons so many churches struggle is because the differences between the rhetoric of what they want to be and the reality of who they are is, um, is infinite. When you have aspirational values and not actual values, it doesn't change you. It just makes the world shake their head at you. You've got all the information you need, but you're just not applying. The goal of teaching is not information exchange, it's transformation. And so we're talking about the things that have transformed us. And the glory of faithfulness is a transformed life. What are the things that we want to continue to be faithful to so that we can be everything that God wants us to be? Let me start by just giving you a little illustration. Before America had its 9-11, there's a town about 100 miles south of here that had its 5-11. Specifically at 437 in 1953, it was a Monday afternoon, there was a, a, a town uh, called Waco. Uh, this is a, a few little glimpses uh, of this town, Waco, that today um, you may not think of as a thriving metropolis, but it was. We're going to hold that picture there just for a second. And uh, let me just tell you about Waco. Waco used to be a place that presidents would go to speak. Babe Ruth played exhibition baseball there. It was a farmer and business trading mecca. It was one of the most uh, significant towns in this growing state of Texas, but then in 1953, an F5 tornado, one of the worst in the history of our state, in fact, one of the worst in the history of our country until recently, hit Waco, and it devastated it. 114 lives were lost, 840-some-odd uh, houses, 350-some-odd businesses. In today's money, $1.5 billion worth of property damage happened in Waco on May 11th. 1953. It set Waco way back. And Waco didn't need a lot of help. But it set Waco way back. That and the impending close of an Air Force base right near there left it kind of a joke, the armpit of Texas. But then there was this couple that showed up. <laughs> and they didn't see what was. They saw what could be. And they grabbed a lot of these turn-of-the-century homes and ranch houses and things that were built all around that then kind of stalled-out economic area, and they got involved with a little bit of a fixer-upper mentality. Now, I've never seen a show. I've walked past it while it's on. I live with three women, actually, uh, so no surprise, uh, four women, but um, there, was, uh, there was, I've seen Waco. I've seen the change that has happened in that community. Do you know that today, Waco is the number two rising destination of individuals that desire to go there, according to TripAdvisor, trailing only Hawaii. <laughs> More people visit Waco than the Alamo in Texas. 30,000 people a week, 1.2 million a year. Look, I don't know if you know this, but deep in the Greek, in Revelation, uh, one of the signs in the end times is that Waco will be a tourist destination. <laughs> I think David Koresh and the Branch Davidians were into that self-fulfilling prophecy back in 1993. Let me tell you what happened here in Dallas. Right there around the year 2000, uh, my wife and some friends looked not at the physical nature of Dallas, but we looked at the spiritual nature of Dallas. And we saw not what was, but what could be. And we were committed to fixer-uppering it. We didn't want to talk about how um, there was a lot of 
religious activity in large churches, but we didn't see as much transformation as we wanted. Man, Dallas was filled with good people. I, I, I mentioned this in, in, when I wrote Come and See, that right after Watermark started, Christianity Today um, put a cowboy hat on the cover of its magazine and said, Dallas, the capital of evangelicalism. And I just wasn't experiencing that. It was the capital of large churches, but I didn't see a lot of transformation, radical transformation in life together around me. And so rather than just abandon it, we just said, let's just do something about it. Let's talk about what could be. And so we spent a lot of time looking at God's design for how to build a community of friends that would try and radically go about what God wanted us to be about, not just preaching the word, but applying the word to our life. Dallas, by the grace of God, has been a place where a ton of good theology has flowed out, a lot of great Bible exposition, but we wanted to see Bible application. We wanted to do life together with our friends, and we wanted to see God do something great, and we said, why not with us? Let's not just hold to certain truths. Let's follow those truths and live according to them. And we dove in, and we got after it. It wasn't just uh, my wife and I. It was um, some good friends. One of my closest friends over the last two decades has been Donald. You know Donald. Donald's been a major part of this work. He's been one of the co-leaders of this work with me. He's taught here. He continues to be an elder here. And uh, Don and his wife have changed this community as they have applied their leadership. You guys don't know Don. You don't know him necessarily that way. This is a picture of him. Donald Dean McFarlane. You don't know him by Donald, you know him by Dean. You know him by his middle name. That's kind of what he's known for, right? That's how we call him um, as we affectionately know him. Nobody knows his name as Donald, they know him by Dean. Let me just say this to you. Our middle name, Watermark Community Church, is how God says people should know us, by the community that we have here. Watermark isn't the thing. Community ought to be the thing. Life together ought to be the thing. And the way God built this his design for his people would be that our middle name would be radically different from the way that other communities gather because this community was gonna be God's community. And the way we love one another and the way we live life together was supposed to mark us. I've said a lot that watermark to me isn't um, that big a deal, okay? It only is a big deal because it's where I am pursuing community, life together, the way that God says that God wanted me to invest in others and be with others. Again and again in scripture, it says, hey, this is the sum of my commandments, that you love one another, if you will, even as I have loved you. Because you love me, you love one another, and you do life together. It doesn't mean be polite to one another. I saw plenty of religious um, politeness and social acuity in Dallas. But I also saw folks that were part of communities of faith for decades who didn't have substantive life change because everybody was really more attuned to spiritual correctness, political correctness, politeness, societal propriety than they were radically committed to one another. And we saw an opportunity to fix her up a little bit. And we dove in. Community is our middle name. It's how folks ought to know us. Now, I just want to say this about community. Um, community is not easy, right? Um, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who um, lived life together in the 1930s as well as anybody I know, he wrote an amazing book called um, Life Together, the classic exploration of what Christian community is. He says something in there that I thought was really insightful. He says, the person who loves the dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around him will create community. If you love the idea of how easy it's going to be when you get with other people that are in the process of being conformed to the image of Christ, you will destroy community because you're gonna find out very quickly that because we're not home yet, there are still elements of our life that are not as they, have sh they should be. I, I, I will say again and again, my wife and I run into this all the time when we're talking to individuals just about marriage relationships. People say, well, gosh, Todd, if I was married to someone like you or if I married someone like your wife, my marriage would be great too. And I would just say, you don't know how hard we work at our marriage. People say, well, if I was in community with the kind of people you're in community with, I'd love community too. You don't know how hard we work at life together. 
Great community is not some fairy tale. It's not some Prince Charming that comes riding in on a white horse that forever changes your life. Great community, great marriages are forged, not found. They take work, they take diligence. They take commitment, they take grace, they take spiritual dependence on an infinite love of God. And God in the midst of that brings about something glorious and beautiful, but you've got to lose this fairy tale nonsense that you're gonna find this perfect love of your life, you'll be together and hold hands and walk perpetually towards a sunset. Life together is hard. People who love the imaginary idea of it destroy it, but people who love those around them create it. My friend Jay Burns, who was an elder, was a leader of an Orthodox Bible church here in town, when he came to Watermark and we called him and his friends who were led to join us to do life together, very quickly realized they had not been doing life together. This is a note he wrote me some 15 odd years ago. He said, Todd, the first time I got together with the people that you asked me to run and share life with here to pursue community, we, we started with some friends that we've known for a long time and it wasn't 45 minutes into our dinner that I was ready to flip them off and leave them at dinner and never get with them again. And these were our friends. I mean, these were people we enjoyed for a long time and never had any real conflict or problem with. Again, Jay is overstating here in his note to me, but the point is, is so many times we're just, we're committed to societal propriety and political correctness in our conversations instead of real love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Jay goes on to say this, we, then we started pursuing community, life together with them, and I started thinking right away, I don't want to spend this kind of time with these people. The reason is, is we were social friends, enjoying each other, but not really loving and exchanging, loving each other. We were just exchanging tidbits of information, superficial stories about life with one another, but we were not shepherding each other faithfully or wounding one another. Biblical community, life together, is not where you go to hang out. It is where you go to get headed, if you will, herded in the right direction, shepherded. It's not a place for people to go just to have um, religious conversations or to share social updates or tips or life hacks. Biblical community is where we love each other even as Christ has loved us. And when we faithfully wound each other, it can be hard. Like, I don't think I want anything more, any more of this. But it's what God uses to change us. It's the tornado of grace that wipes out the world that he doesn't want us to live in. When you look at God's word and you see what it says about how we do life together. What I did is I just, I just took all the one another's of scripture because that's what Christianity is. It is a non-negotiable commitment to the one another's. And if you are here and you're not in a one another relationship with other people that are committed to God and therefore are committed to you because they're going to give an account as God says we should for your soul, then you are not a part of God's church. I um, just got back. I, I was uh, away for 10 days. I actually um, was just encouraging some friends that have been here and laboring for a long time. Took them to Israel. We were just in Israel for almost uh, just under two weeks. And when we got back, it was the middle of the day, and so none of my, my, my kids were able um, to come get me. And so my wife and I uh, decided to just grab an Uber or a Lyft. And I always, before I kind of hit that little button, I just pray, God, give me somebody that I can encourage um, in the sovereignty of uh, the wonders of the ways these app work, would you just allow me to have somebody that needs some encouragement today? And, and, and so, um, as God's grace would have it, I, I got Gerardo. And so Gerardo picked my wife and I up, and, and we jump in, and uh, he was kind, he was gracious right away, and just started talking to us, because you guys uh, uh, just coming in from somewhere, yeah, it was a long flight, he, he, and I, we just said, you know, we've been traveling for almost you know, 24 hours, and he goes, oh man, I did that once. A long time ago, I, um, I flew to Japan and then flew further south and was in the South Pacific, and um, um, I was down there. I go, really, what were you doing in the South Pacific? He goes, I was doing some mission work back in the day. I go, mission work, really? Tell me about that. And he goes, well, you know, I kind of grew up in a Seventh-day Adventist uh, world, and, and, and they kind of convinced me that this would be a good idea, and uh, I go, well, how's that going now? He goes, well, that was kind of a while ago. 
And he goes, you know, I've, I've gone through some tough time. I go, well, you still a part of that Seventh-day Adventist community? He goes, no, I go to Watermark now. <laughs> and I go, do you? He goes, yeah. I go, well, what's, why, why do you go there? He goes, well, that preacher, man, he, he prepares me. He teaches God's word. <laughs> he doesn't say the same thing every week. He's got lots of information. It's really encouraging me. I go, well, he will be pleased to hear you think that. <laughs> what's the last thing you remember him saying, Gerardo? <laughs> and then he mentioned, he goes, well, he did this thing. It was uh, about lights. You know, he had us light candles. And he was talking about, and I go, that was last September, Gerardo. I go, we go to Watermark too. He goes, do you? I go, yes. I go, but, water, but Harada, we don't go to Watermark. And if you just go there, have you ever connected, man? Have you ever jumped in? Because when you go to Watermark, it's impossible to go to be, uh, to, to attend a place you're supposed to be a part of. God doesn't want you just to attend someplace. He wants you to tend his business. He wants you to tend to one another. The Christian life is a life of one another's. Man, I'm so glad to hear that you're there. Let me tell you what changed my, my wife and I's life. And we just started talking. He had no idea still who he was talking to. But we, we just started talking. Have you ever filled out that little you know, perforated section? He goes, well, yeah. He goes, he goes no, I never have. You know? He goes, I, and I've been there since the candles, but, but not very much. Man, I work a lot. His faithful brother, Roofer, works hard on the weekends, drives to supplement some of his income in order to deal with some of the decisions that he's made that have been hard for him. I just said, man, how can I help you? Do you know that you can also just reach out to them by go connect.watermark.org? And I said, in fact, let's just fill that thing out right now. And so I just opened it up. I just said, just give me your information. Tell me, I go, here's some things. A 26-year-old man, I said, tell me, let me tell you about something that's about to come up where we're forming um, what the spiritual life of a man looks like. There's a thing called Equip Disciple, Arata, where you can begin to grow, but I want you to become a member. I want you to have men that meet with you, not just randomly when they get in the car, you know, but day by day that spur you on to love and good deeds. And so I just filled out his little first uh, impression, you know, ministry contact form. I let him read it. I go, does that seem like accurate to you? You know what you said you'd like? He goes, yeah, and I hit send. And then I told him, I said, man, when you come again, you might see me. <laughs> and I go, I don't want to help you, bro. I don't want you to come to Watermark. Because when you know Christ, you don't come to his church. You are the church. And we do life together. I didn't tell him this, but this is what I could have said. This is just a compilation of everything the New Testament says. You know, about... Um, about what life together is. It's where we love one another, care for one another, serve one another, admonish one another, show forbearance to and forgive one another regularly, not just week to week, but all the time, where we keep fervent in our love for one another, hospitable towards one another, where we employ our gifts in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, where we greet one another, are of the same mind towards one another, are kind to each other and speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. This is your New Testament. This is the church. It's where we build up, comfort, pray for, encourage, live in peace with, and seek after that which is good for one another. It's where we clothe ourselves in humility towards one another, where we live in sub subjection to one another, stimulate one another unto love and good deeds, confess sins to one another, live in peace with one another, give preference to one another in honor, where we encourage one another day after day, lest any of us become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is where we love one another just as he loved us. It's where what Christ wants is forged. This is the house that Jesus wants you to be a part of, not a place he wants you to attend. We, we've talked about, about, about the values that make up life together, and you need to know something about community. Community isn't a ministry at Watermark. Community is the ministry. It's how we live because of the foundation that Christ has built. I'm about to raise for you a house. I'm going to show you the studs and the pillars that make it strong, but you need to know what the foundation is. The foundation is found in Ephesians chapter 2. The scriptures talk about how Christ has for us something that we are to build on. This is what it says in the book of, Galatians, in the book of Ephesians. It says that we have built our lives on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Ephesians 2.20. Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone. And then it says, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God 
in the Spirit. I'm about to show you the house that is built on the foundation of the gospel. We, we talk so much here about how we're called to do, 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 and, and we just want to be Christians. But let me just tell you something. People who be Christians do certain things. Jesus says, in fact, in Matthew chapter 7, in verses 24 and following, that everyone who hears my words of mine and does and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. There it is again. The difference between rhetoric and reality. The difference between aspiring to and actually living in. And this is why so much of the church is compromised. It's because we don't do what Jesus calls us to do. The scripture says, be doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Jesus says we're fools if we hear what he says and doesn't act on them. I, um, I, I, I pray for the nations um, almost daily. And the, and the way I do that is by... Um, I get a daily email from something called Operation World, which for years has been just involved with um, helping us understand the spiritual state of kingdom work around the globe. And every day they're kind enough to send me an email that, that works alphabetically through the countries. This is the one I got yesterday morning. This is um, praying for Australia and, 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 and the little islands that are associated with Australia, the Commonwealth of Australia. What it does, it tells you a little bit about the background of the people, some unreached people in that particular area. And what you're going to see there is that as you read about Australia, is that Australia is 70% Christian, a lot like the United States of America. But the United States of America look today a lot like a country that is 70% Christian. Well, neither does Australia. And the reason is, as I was praying for Australia, is because um, so few people, only 10%, of Australians regularly go to church. And that, and, and that in and of itself is, is not um, the final statistic because I would imagine that probably 90% of the churches that people go to in Australia are not committed to calling people to do life together. This is what it says specifically on the Operation World website. And, and it's not so much about Australia as I prayed for, it was about you and me. While over two-thirds of Australians identify themselves in some way as Christian, only 10% regularly attend church, and even those increasingly have negative attitudes toward the church's perceived intolerance and authoritarianism. Thank you. Secularism is not so much the dominant ideology as it is, as is an individualized, new-age, pick-and-choose spirituality with no accountability. See, that's what defines what's going on in Australia. It's what defines and what's going on in most of the tornadic church activity of the United States of America. It's not the house that Jesus built. One of the reasons that God has been radically at work here is because we have been committed to not finding this dream called community, but forging what God wants for us. The foundation is the gospel. And if we love our king, who has laid this foundation, and we're gonna be built into this spiritual house as living stones. These are the pillars that make it up. We've talked about these. But recently, we got together about 250 of our most committed members that are, that are leading with us, and we asked them, can you name the six core values of community? Only seven of them could. Now, I'm not so concerned about how folks will do with their um, answering what the six core values are and the way we articulate what God wants us to be about. I'm even more concerned about whether we do them. You may not use the pithy words or summation that we do, but I want to tell us today and remind us today that the reason that our church will be what God wants his church to be, which is why I care about Watermark, because God wants his community of people everywhere to be thriving. And if his church and community of people is to be thriving everywhere, then our middle name will always be the same. And we will be known by our love for one another, by the way we commune, by the way we fellowship, do the business of life 
together. You don't go to a church. You are the church or you're not. You're part of the body or you're not. When we think about somebody who um, was involved in some tragic accident where their arm is severed, the appendage is put over there, it is a grotesque image. And it's, it's something we call their, their arm was dismembered. It's never what God intends. It's always a tragedy. It's always a bloody mess. The arm becomes dead and useless to the rest of the body. You are called to do life together. Now, as we do life together, here, here's some things, and there is a, a method to the madness about the way that we communicate these things. And, and what I want to do is tell you, this is why week after week we say to you, hey, the first thing to do, the very first step is to figure out, first of all, if these people here at Watermark um, really are committed to the middle name that we all share. Are we committed to what God says we, be sh we should be committed to? And so we encourage you to go to what we call just to kind of discover watermark or the first week where we just talk. Going there doesn't mean you're going to necessarily jump in with us, but it certainly is how we figure out whether we should engage together. The scriptures are very clear. We don't want to be unequally yoked. We don't want some person that we're saddling up with to say, I'm going to go plow this road when God's word says we should plow this road. We all agree together. This is the road God wants us to plow. And so when you are ready, to not join one of the ministries of Watermark, but to be a part of the family of God, when you identify with his death, burial, and resurrection, and walk in newness of life, this is what life together looks like. There's life in the flesh, and there's life in the faith. Before we walk through these things, let me just give you one last little set of scripture. In Galatians chapter five, it says, you were called to freedom you're no longer a slave to your own way. God has set you free, brethren. Only don't turn your freedom, the scripture says, into an opportunity in the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. Everything. And that is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you, watch this, and this is what happens so much, bite and devour one another. Take care, the scripture says, that you are not consumed by one another. But I say walk by the Spirit, walk in faith, and you will not carry out the deeds of the flesh. And then it goes on, and it talks about what it means to carry out the deeds of the flesh. And then it talks about what it means to carry out and live in the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> Last night, uh, somebody uh, grabbed me after the service and said, man, it's amazing we were here. We were looking for a church that wanted to do community, and I just thought it was just such an odd statement. It's impossible to find a church that doesn't do biblical community. You will find a said church, an Australian church, an American church that doesn't, but you will never find Jesus' church that doesn't do life together. And as I said, listen, this is hard work, okay? This is not easy, but it's what we do if we're wise and build our house on the rock. And by the way, I'll tell you, if you think community is hard, try isolation. Try living life by yourself. So what's it look like? Well, first of all, it looks like you personally devote yourself daily to the God who loved you and gave his life for you. Bonhoeffer again, he says this, let the person who cannot be alone be aware of community. Let him who is not in community beware of being alone. Each by itself has profound perils and pitfalls. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings. And the one who seeks solitude without fellowship pursues, uh, perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. Let him who cannot be alone be aware of community. What I mean by that is if you are left to your own devices, it won't be long before you found out that you can't love other people the way that Jesus says that you should or the way that you said that you would. The way that we become people who can forgive those who hurt us is that we experience the forgiveness of Christ. The way that we extend grace is we are recipients of grace continually. Jesus says in John 15, five, simply this, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, the word abides is the word remain. If you remain in me with steadfast, unceasing dependence upon Jesus, 
you will bear much fruit. And apart from that devotion to Christ, you can do nothing. A life in the faith is a life that will always be marked by personal devotion, Bible intake, Bible meditation, prayer, solitude. Now, we'll say this, that wise men seek solitude, but fools live in isolation, and there's a world of difference. You're either gonna devote daily or be spiritually starved. And then secondly, you will pursue relationally. These are the means of God's grace to you. His spirit, through the word, and through inner promptings, and through meditation and prayer, um, is, is part of how God just pushes the cholesterol of sin out of your body. The other way he does it is another place that his spirit dwells. And that is in the context of relationship with other people. The opposite of pursuing people relationally is pursuing isolation. And isolation is the garden where idiosyncrasies grow. Romans 12.10 says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. This isn't just getting together every other Wednesday and just chatting it up a little bit and catching each other up on social information. This is life together. It's pursuing one another daily. The scripture says in Hebrews 13, encourage one another day after day, as long as it's called today, so that you will not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, which is to say, if you don't pursue people relationally, you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And God says, I don't want you to be in bondage to what I set you free from. And so be around other brothers who will encourage you, remind you, and help you be everything that God wants you to be. You devote daily and you pursue others relationally. And then we live authentically with one another. 1 John 1, 7 says, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus is our Savior cleanses us from all sin. Living authentically, the opposite of which is living life as a fake, living with a facade, is the life of isolation. It's the life that, that lends itself towards fear of being exposed, fear of being really known. And Jesus says, there's no way you should ever fear about being somebody who struggles against sin if you're my children. In fact, you need to know this, right? I think sometimes you think that everybody here that's a part of this family has been here longer than you somehow has lived this life of immense purity for decades, and you're not paying attention. Read the Watermark News. This is an organization that the only requirement that is necessary for you to be admitted is to admit that you're broken. This is not a room full of pretty people. This is a room full of redeemed people that God is making beauty from our ashes. This week, I was standing in, in Gerasim overlooking the Sea of Galilee with 20 people that have been a part of this ministry with me for over a decade. And we stood there on this hill that Jesus um, delivered this man from what is described as a legion's worth of demons and oppression and darkness, and um, where the pigs ran down into the sea, and this man then was clothed in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus, and one of the things we did is we just sat around, and we just took a moment, and we just shared our stories with one another, and we said, this is where we would be living among the dead, chained to our addictions and brokenness and self-will if it wasn't for the Messiah that set us free. I'd be divorced, addicted to porn, have a string of broken relationships. My kids would hate me. My community would tolerate me only in that I was useful for them. And I'd be very lonely no matter how many friends I had if it weren't for Jesus. Bonhoeffer says this. It's a brilliant insight. He says, why is it often easier for us to confess our sins to God than to a brother? God is holy and sinless. He is a just judge of, of evil and the enemy of all disobedience. But a brother is sinful as we are. He knows from his own experience the dark night of secret sin. Why should we not find it easier to go to a brother than to a holy God? 
But if we do, we must ask ourselves whether we have not often been deceiving ourselves with our confession of sin to God, whether we have not rather been confessing our sins to ourselves and also then granting ourselves absolution. Who can give us the certainty that in the confession and the forgiveness of our sins, we are not dealing with ourselves but with the living God? God gives us this certainty through our brother. Our brother breaks the circle of self-deception. A man who confesses his sins in the presence of a brother knows that he is no longer alone with himself. He experiences the presence of God in the reality of the other person. Can I just say this to you again? Why is it that we can so freely confess our sins to a holy God, but we have such a hard time telling another brother who himself knows the dark night of secret sin? It's probably because we don't really acknowledge our sins to God. And we're just filled with self-absolution. The Bible says in James chapter five, therefore, live authentically. Confess your sins to one another. Now it doesn't stop there. It says when somebody confesses their sins to you and you admonish them faithfully about the dangers of sin and the dark night of secret sin, that we do it faithfully. What does faithful admonishment look like? First, uh, well, in, in James chapter five, verse 16, after it says, confess your sins to one another, it then goes on to say, and pray for one another. The job that you have and I have when somebody says, this is where I'm struggling, this is where my life is drifting, is just go, man, thank you for sharing that. I praise God with you that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me pray with you. And then let me encourage you Let's take a look at what's going on. How's your daily relationship with God? How are you pursuing us? How can we pursue you more? How can we strengthen you in this way? The scripture says that part of admonishing faithfully is to do it with great patience and tenderness. In Galatians chapter six, verse one and two, it says this. It says, if anybody is caught in any spiritual trespass, you who are spiritual and who desire to be faithful, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, not judgment, each one looking to yourself so you don't do it arrogantly or pridefully or, or even hypocritically that you're not honestly living authentically yourself so that you too would not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. This is the church, people. We confess our sins to one another. We pray for one another. We admonish the unruly. First Thess 5, 14 says, we encourage the faint-hearted. We help the weak and we're patient with all men. And when we speak, we don't just speak in little tidbits or I think or Oprah said, we counsel biblically. We counsel biblically. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable, meaning scripture alone is profitable. Not my ideas, not my life experience. Scripture is profitable for teaching for reproving, for correction, for training in righteousness, that others that I'm doing life together with may be adequate and equipped for every good work. The opposite of being an individual who admonishes faithfully is, is being somebody that, that harshly and um, angrily judges others that maybe stays silent in the midst of sin. And the opposite of counseling biblically is that we give worldly wisdom the wisdom of fallen men. This is not a good idea. James, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse five, it says this, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and who makes flesh his strength. If in your community, you're not devoting daily to where you have something to share from God's word with them when they come to you and struggle and, 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 and pain, then, then you've got nothing except that which God says giving them is cursed. Let me tell you what I think should never carry as much weight as thus saith the Lord. One of the things to do when you have no idea what to say to somebody who's struggling is just be somebody who just says, but I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm not gonna rest until we see what God would say we should do in light of this circumstance, this financial decision, this sin that has happened to you, this sin that you have committed, this struggle with your child. Let's see what God's word says. If we're stumped together, praise God, we're part of a large house where there are more mature brothers and sisters that we can go to and say, hey, 
Collectively, we're going to come to you, not send the person with a problem away, but let's be discipled together. Let's go and devote ourselves to others that are part of the same family that can instruct us in the ways of the Father. But God's people counsel one another biblically. Paul does this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He just says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in my persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and the power. So that your faith, so that the formation of your life would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on God alone. Now, when we do all of these things, the reason that we, we devote daily and pursue relationally and live authentically and admonish faithfully and counsel biblically is so that God can produce something in us. And that is that we can be useful and fruitful for him. Let me just say that the opposite of engaging missionally is spiritual narcissism. Caravaggio captured uh, the image of narcissist in this great painting, Narcissist at the Source. Here he is. This is Narcissus, and he is sitting there looking at himself at the source of the river where it's still. And he is struck in Greek mythology by his own beauty until he becomes just mesmerized with himself and he falls in and drowns. That's the story of Narcissus. It's where we get the name of the flower that's so beautiful you can't stop looking at it. And it's where we get the name of the psychological social disorder called narcissism, where it's always about you. May it never be about us. Watch what it says here in 2 Peter chapter 1. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. That's why we gather together. Not just on Sundays in this pastor's gathering and pastor's conference, but just daily encouraging each other so that grace and peace can be multiplied to us, seeing that God's divine power has already granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these, God has granted us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them, his precious and magnificent promises, the structure of his way, we can become partakers of divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now watch. So he says, now for this very reason, apply all diligence, constant, steadfast devotion and effort to your faith. Make sure you're defined by moral excellence. And your moral excellence, make sure you add to it more knowledge still. And to your knowledge, add self-control. It's not just a knowledge that is aspired to. It's not just rhetoric. It is the reality of application. And to your self-control, perseverance. Maintain a steadfast perseverance. To your perseverance, add this thing that the world will call godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. To brotherly kindness, these six things that are in your life, let it produce ultimately love. Watch this. Second Peter Chapter one, verse eight. And if these, Paul used six, we have five that summarize them. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you not a spiritual narcissist. You won't be useless and unfruitful. But you'll have a true knowledge of Jesus Christ that will make you somebody that engages the reason with others missionally. We don't just come here and marvel at our beauty and the fact that we're no longer enslaved by our lust. We go to others that are living among the dead, chained to their sin, unclothed and out of their right mind, and we implore them with the love of Christ. When's the last time you had a meaningful conversation with somebody who's far from God? When's the last time you sat with a younger brother or sister and encouraged them with the truth of the faith? I was just at the Dead Sea also last week. And when you're at the Dead Sea, you do stupid, silly things like this. You cover yourself in mud, right? Save yourself $500 of buying the stuff at Aveda at North Park, and you just grab it right there, and you slap it all over you. This stuff is amazing. It was just, before I could even wash it off, this is what happened to me right here. Is that not amazing? <laughs> Somebody got a hold of my Instagram and Photoshopped it. But I remember, it made me think when I saw that picture, we all laughed. Mud doesn't do that, by the way. 
Now, I remember uh, there was a guy in a talk show uh, way back when, and there, it was back when the bodybuilding craze was really taking off in the 70s with Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he kept looking at these guys with just this massive biceps and huge developed quads and, and amazing lats, and he looked at these guys, and he goes, hey man, so what do you do with those muscles? And the guy kind of went. <laughs> he goes, no, 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 seriously, what do you do with those muscles? And the guy went. Really? Is that why God gives you strength? Is that why God saves you so you can pose about how much better you are than you were? No, God does this. He gives you strength for a reason. And that is that you would engage missionally. That you would do something with the restorative work of God in your life. But listen, you will not be useful and fruitful to engage missionally unless... You're a part of this thing that he says is life together. It is God's means of grace for you. It's how he built this. Why are most of you here? Most of you are here because somebody invited you. Not because you got a mailer to your home. We don't do them. Not because you heard an ad on the radio. We don't do them. But because you ran into somebody who by the grace of God has been spiritually formed. The glory of faithfulness is a transformed life. And they just said, come, come into the saving grace of the work of God. Let me testify to you of what he is doing in my life. I'm not home yet, so there's still much work that needs to be done, but come and see the glory of God. It's how he built this. And God wants you not just to attend this place that transforms people. He wants you to be somebody who is being spiritually transformed. Now listen, when um, you build a house, you, you, you start with just you know, design plans and then you custom build out and then there's maintenance and then eventually there is renovation. There's work that needs to be done on a continual basis to make it fresh, to make it new. And as we've been about this for 20 years, we have decided that it's time to do some renovative work in order to help you, right? We know that the parking lot of the church is the graveyard of all message application. You leave here with a commitment like, yeah, that was good. I know I need to be about that. And then you get out there and kids sports and and things you want to do with the rest of your Sunday and, and honeydews and all this different stuff kind of swallow it up. And so that is why we gather together on a regular basis day after day. It's why by the grace of God, we've had a member of our body that is just technically savvy that's been working with our community team to come up with something we think is going to be helpful to you. Take out your phone, would you please? Take out your phone, go to the app store. Now listen, when you download this app, okay, just go to Watermark Community Group. Type that in there and you can download the Watermark Community Group app. It's part of the renovation work that we're doing. And we think it's going to be a helpful tool for you. And don't start it because someone will start talking to you. Just download it. All right? Now let me tell you what you're going to find when you go there later. You're going to find um, weekly media where you can just go right here and it'll be the last several weeks of messages that are there for you. We know through the 4B form that not everybody's able to be here every week. But when we're not here, we need to make sure we're of one mind with each other. And so there's the message that we just did. Actually, there'll be a five-minute clip from the message that you can listen to. There's a link to the sermon notes and a sermon summary and application questions for you to engage regularly with one another. You're going to find out there's another page that is there that uh, you can link to based on the life stage of your community group. It's called The Index. And if you want more information on uh, one of the topics that are there or a certain life stage, we will put the best of resources that have been created here that you can look at and listen to and jump in and discuss with those that you are doing life together with. But watch this. We want to help you and renovate the way that you are doing life together. We don't want you to get together, and as I said, just have spiritual conversations that are on a fluff level. We don't want you just to share tidbits and life hacks. We don't want you to get together periodically. We want you on a regular daily basis as you're being equipped, encouraging, and caring for one another to help each other's souls. And so what we've done is we've just basically um, grouped these into twos, and there are three questions that we want you to ask each other every time that you're together. And they're right there on that community group app. The first one is simply this. How have you been feeding your soul? How have you been doing? Tell us what you've learned in your own time with the Lord. How have you been pursuing others? Let's talk about how much we've reached out to each other, emailed each other, texted each other, encouraged each other. These are the means of grace that God will make you strong in your life. How have you been feeding your soul? This is 
accountability, and this is encouraging each other to be about constantly being nourished in our faith. Secondly, how have you been feeding your flesh? Where has the dark night of sin, secret sin, been hampering you? How can I pray for you that God might heal you? How are you feeding your soul? How have you been feeding your flesh? You gotta talk about this every time you're together. And how are you feeding others? How are you discipling other people, counseling them with God's word? When's the last time you had a conversation where you dropped in what God would say, even to those that are far from him? How have you um, shared the story of God's grace with other people? What have you done this week because you're not just some spiritual narcissist, but you're on mission? How have you fed others? The community group app, if you forget these questions and you forget these principles, will have those questions for you there every time. Open it up. Just hit it. You'll download it with others that are members of the, the family of God with you, and you can just sit down and go, hey, the message last week, here's some questions that came out of it. Do you remember this statement he said? Do you remember this point? Let's not let it die in the graveyard of all sermon messages out there in the parking lot. Let's encourage each other to keep feeding our souls. Let's make sure we're not feeding our flesh. And let's be God's people who feed others. That's how he built this. Father, I thank you for my friends who have been a part of your building this amazing ministry, which is the church of Jesus Christ right here in Dallas. I thank you, Father, for how you have um, restored what the tornado of sin in this community has wiped out. And for 20 years, we have watched this become a, a, a God-advised destination for those who need rest for their soul. I thank you for what you've done to restore here the beauty and the Mecca of fruitfulness and industry for the kingdom in this city through these people that have been committed to building on the foundation of the gospel. Father, we don't wanna be useless and fruitless. And we thank you that we've experienced years of prosperity here. And I pray that we would only now double down on the things that have caused the world to take note of this little community of friends that are trying to be obedient to what you said makes your house beautiful indeed. So Father, may we continue to do that. May you as the designer, the architect, as the, the sovereign landlord of this community, may you get all the glory, but Lord, may we be about what it is that you've called us to be about, that others may come to find life indeed. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, this is what we want to do and how we want to live. If you are here and you um, have never understood the gospel that builds the foundation of your life, would you please, before you leave, just, just take that perforated section, check a box. I wanna know how to have more of that. Would you come visit with us here? Would you ask the person next to you? They should be ready, if they're members, to engage with you missionally. We love you. For those of you that are already doing these things, have a great week of worship. We'll see you next week.